It's Tuesday, May 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Asit Sharma in the house. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. Thank you for, I don't know, for, for widening your parameters and once again taking a chance to have me come join you <laughs> in the morning. It's, you know what, Asit, you're a known quantity at this point. I'm no longer <laughs> taking a chance. Um, awesome. We have a big acquisition brewing in the entertainment industry. We have some automotive earnings to get to. Uh, but we're going to start with another, I guess we could put this under the umbrella of entertainment. Uh, IAC Interactive is in the spotlight this week. IAC is a holding company that has a lot of brands in its portfolio, brands that you're probably familiar with, uh, businesses like Angie's List, Care.com, The Daily Beast, Brides Magazine. IAC is spinning off Vimeo as a separately traded public company. This is the uh, video tools uh, business. Um, anyone, I mean, I encounter it with music videos on Vimeo.com, but uh, it'll now uh, start trading on the NASDAQ under the ticker VMEO. Uh, what do you think about this move? Because this, you know, IAC is one of those businesses I've, I've always found interesting, never so compelling that I actually pulled the trigger and bought some shares of, but I'm, I'm always interested in sort of the holding company strategy. And at some point along the way, they decided, look, there's there's greater value here to be had over the next decade or so if Vimeo is on its own. Do you think this is a good move? I think it is a good move. Uh, same with you, Chris. I I don't buy a lot of holding companies in my portfolio. I think it's, I mean, it's hard to make money in the holding company business. You either focus on one industry and you're doing what are called roll-ups, or you try to be some kind of I don't know, Berkshire Hathaway quasi-conglomerate, but you can't be Berkshire Hathaway. No one can be Berkshire Hathaway. But look at IAC. I think that this is a good strategy because they grew Vimeo um, for several years. These spinoffs typically are tax-free to shareholders. If you are an IAC shareholder, you'll get 1.6235 Vimeo shares. for each IAC share you own. Yes, I'm reading off the decimal points, 1.6 shares. But Vimeo itself is an interesting business. So some companies, some holding companies, do a great job in uh, letting good ideas grow and then run off on their own, giving shareholders a slice if they want to continue holding shares in that. And um, we, we should talk a little bit about Vimeo. Uh, in, in terms of what it would look like if, if we didn't have this context of IAC. And Chris, as you mentioned, it's interesting. They have sort of a reputation for quality for those of you who have just landed on their site and seen a very nicely produced music video. This carries over to what they actually do, so the video tools you mentioned. Vimeo provides tools to create content within business organizations. You can be a small business or an enterprise business. They have a really wide tool set. They help any kind of business out there create compelling video narratives without having to spend the thousands and thousands of dollars it takes to do it professionally if you hired a professional video company. But that's not all. They also provide streaming services. They provide lots of interactive video services, not necessarily uh, what Zoom does, more geared towards the business world and, and content. But I was surprised, Chris. I'll read a few numbers, and then I'll, I'll ask to, to hear your thoughts on this. This company grew 44% year-over-year year last year. Um, they have high margins approaching 70%. 
They have uh, a user base that is growing quite quickly. Their go-to-market proposition is that there are um, millions and millions of small businesses plus enterprise businesses. They only have 1.5 million subscriptions. So this is, if you look at their big picture, they're talking about 300 million small and medium-sized businesses, 1 million enterprise customers out there. That's their total universe of potential customers. They're still really, really small. And what I really love about this company, just sort of seeing it at a first glance, looking through the investor presentation, some other materials, 65% of their enterprise customers, so these are uh, big companies that uh, are out there with multiple departments and the need to have video internally at scale for messaging. 65% of those customers start with one or two people in the organization. They're free users. So they, they take the free uh, video, Vimeo product and they get budget to, to subscribe. That gets picked up by other departments, sort of very much a freemium plus land and expand model. There's a lot to like in, in this company alone, and it's more interesting than I thought, just like you, sort of landing on their site over the years and seeing a really nice music video. You know, not that we're saying people need to be locked to their screens every day checking their portfolios. That's, that's not a great habit for a long-term investor. Um, but this is one of those times, if you're an IAC shareholder um, and you're not paying attention to the Vimeo spinoff, um, then you're forgiven for um, your heart rate increasing when you see that, you know, in a 24-hour period, uh, the value of IAC stock drops 30%. And it's just like, oh my, like what happened? But, you know, what happened was they spun out Vimeo as a separate public company, you're now a part owner of that stock. So the overall value hasn't dropped 30%. It's just coming in a in the form of two stocks, not one. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where IAC goes from here, just as, as a business and a stock, because it, it really has had a good past 12 months. But prior to that, it's a few years of basically just treading water. And I... I think if you're a shareholder, you're hoping that there are more um, stories like Vimeo within this portfolio of just scores and scores of companies. Um, you know, I I don't know that there are that many more like that. Um, but as you said, you know, if you're if you're interested in holding companies, then uh, you know this is one to look at. But I I. I don't look at this and think in the way that a lot of people a decade ago looked at eBay and its ownership of PayPal and thought, boy, you know, if they could spin that out, that's a that's going to be a home run on its own, most likely. You know, I, I look at the underlying brands in IAC, and you know, a lot of them are names I'm not familiar with. So I'm not. It's not to say that there aren't some home runs to be had there, but there there I don't see anything that looks obvious in the way that PayPal was an obvious home run. Yeah, I agree, Chris. You know, there are some counterintuitive academic studies I've seen that show that after a spinoff, the parent company <laughs> performs better than it would have before the spinoff. And that's sort of crazy if you think about it. If you look at a company like Vimeo, it seems so promising. It's got such a big growth rate. Why wouldn't IAC perform better, you know, with everything under one roof? And the answer comes down to this. It's that... It, 
business units get obscured. The average investor can't see how promising one idea is. And that idea, Vimeo in this case, doesn't have its own autonomous management team. You know, it has to argue uh, for resources with the parent company. So both companies benefit. They can each focus on more and more like core strengths. But it, it's hard to see when you look through that portfolio and other companies that's to me, is as compelling as this one. And, and as you say, there's no clear home runs. Like PayPal, I think, was visible to many com- many people from far away, and, and they've proven that out. But we'll see. Maybe we can revisit this, I don't know, uh, at some point in the future and see how IAC is doing uh, post-spinoff. You can add AutoZone to the list of retailers that are crushing same-store sales expectations this earnings season. AutoZone's third quarter comps grew 29%, much higher than Wall Street was expecting. Profits and revenue also came in higher than expected. I mean, this is, I you know, I know the stock is flat or maybe down slightly, although year to date it's still up around 25%. To me, this is just another strong quarter from AutoZone. Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, maybe they should be getting a little more love today, but uh, investors are often driven by just so high expectations, especially when a company like AutoZone has been benefiting from COVID. I'm always, I, I'm, I've almost come down now to Chris, where we are now in, in this point in time to thinking, okay, is, it, is this stimmy performance? <laughs> is it sticky performance? So, is it stimulus-based? Is it... Um, just coming off of, of COVID, something sticky where the company's retaining new customers. In AutoZone, I don't think this has much to do with stimulus as many retailers we've looked at. This is more of a story of, I think, reopening and the fact that they're a commercial business. So, this is, if you think about it, and it happens so often. Uh, we have a, a car which we've been doing some repairing on. A lot of times, the quickest place for our repair shop to get the part is from AutoZone. It is to go straight there. Uh, they get it, I think, at a different price than we could if we took bought the part and took it over. You can see how my wheels are turning to decrease the amount I'm putting in this old vehicle. But I love an old vehicle. I love when a vehicle is paid off and I can drive it into the ground. Having said that, that commercial business is really uh, taking off. So that shows uh, some reopening strength. So this is non-retail business, and also their do-it-yourself business. Surprisingly, all through the pandemic, AutoZone, Advance Auto, and other auto retailers, they did pretty well, even though cars were parked in driveways, Chris. People were doing projects you know, in, in their driveways. They may not have been driving as much last year, and that effect is, is still there. Their DIY business was, was strong this quarter. Um, net income increased 74% year-over-year in this period. Operating profit increased almost 64% to $804 million. The one other thing that I wanted to, to talk about, when we think of AutoZone and, and Advanced Auto is a little bit like this, they are just a solid cash flow machine type company. And if you've missed out on this business idea, it's probably not too late. I'm not, not suggesting anyone run out today and buy an AutoZone or an Advanced Auto. But the auto parts retailers, because their business is so solid state and stable cash flow, they tend to be big acquirers of their own shares. So, just skimming through um, their statements today, I mean, really strong balance sheets. Uh, gosh, current assets of $6.2 billion, um, total assets of $14 billion, just debt of $5.3 billion, and just turning out great cash flow. If you were to chart their performance, which I actually did in prep for this show, 
you'd see how there's this widening gulf between the company's price and the market capitalization over the past 10 years. So price has gone up 385% over the last 10 years, not bad for uh, an auto retailer, auto parts retailer, but the market cap has only increased 158%. So they're consistently decreasing shares that are available to buy and that's propping up the stock price. Deceptively good investments. Do you own any uh, auto parts retailers by any chance? Uh, I don't, but uh, you know that is a, a. You and I were talking before we started recording about capital allocation and uh, AutoZone's management has uh, a a long and good track record in terms of buying back their own stock. Yeah, and makes all the sense in the world. One more thing about this. I know we have to move on, but. Um, I really like that they were opening stores during the pandemic. It's, it's a global business. I mean, they have business in South America as well as the U.S. But that's another thing that I'm noticing about retailers that I really like, Chris. The ones that managed to open stores during the pandemic, they're the ones that were anyway on stronger footing. So it's just a little plus that I see. And uh, AutoZone, they let up a little bit, but they didn't take their foot off the gas too much in their store opening cadence. The Wall Street Journal and CNBC are both reporting that Amazon is in the final stages of acquiring MGM Studios. An announcement could come later this week. So what does the film and TV library that includes franchises like James Bond and Rocky Balboa cost? MGM Studios would like a check for $9 billion. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know. They got the money, Asit. I, I kind of feel like even if this is overpaying, feel like this is going to get done. Yeah, so right now the this is a reported deal, you know, as you and I were chatting about before the show, is it going to happen? It looks like it will. MGM was a glorious name back in the day, but you know, as you say, their catalog isn't quite so phenomenal as that that Disney owns. Uh, they do have the Pink Panther franchise. <laughs> Along to, to, to add to some of the glorious names. And I, I actually personally am a fan of the Pink Panther movies. I think they're awesome. It takes a certain sense of humor, I guess. But <laughs> on the other hand, they, they also have a pretty decent TV studio. And the way I think about this is Amazon is just spending a little bit of maintenance money. So their, their prime video service is a distant challenger to the Netflix and, and Disney streaming options out there. But it never has to be number one in the marketplace because at the end of the day, it really is just a value add for the Amazon Prime subscription. You can buy, uh, for just a few dollars less a month, you can buy uh, Amazon Prime Video. I'm not sure how many people actually do that when it's just a little bit cheaper. You might as well get a Disney Plus or um, Netflix. However, for them, as they become a little more successful at churning out um, some creative content, uh, shows that are incre increasingly gaining an audience and winning some awards, I'm thinking about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, and other shows. I think this is just fleshing out the library. And, you know, nine billion bucks with a balance sheet the size of Amazon's, which is like north of $300 billion. I guess you could call it chump change. Part of me is curious is are they just like squandering nine billion bucks? Because this isn't the, um, the most renowned of catalogs. On the other hand, it'll 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 flesh out their offerings a little bit, keep people who have the subscription interested. What are your thoughts? It reminds me a little bit of um, back in 2006 when Google bought YouTube, 
And at the time, uh, Google had its own video platform, and it it wasn't uh, doing as well. It wasn't as popular as YouTube was. And so at the time, they paid $1.7 billion for it. And they overpaid. Like by their own admission, Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO at Google at the time, um, you know, it came out in documents later. Their own internal valuation of YouTube was: we think this business is worth somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred million to seven hundred million dollars. So they overpaid by one billion dollars, and part of the reason they did that was because they knew someone's going to buy this, and we want it to be us. Like in part, so we can keep it out of the hands of others, and I'm. I, that's what I thought of when I was reading through some of the reports this morning. Was it seems like at least part of what is driving this decision is the idea that someone's going to buy MGM Studios. MGM has been for sale for a couple of years now, and I I think that's part of the calculus for Amazon. And that like, look, someone's going to get this catalog of content. Is it worth nine billion on its own? Probably not. But someone's going to get it, and we've got the money. And you know, we talk all the time about whether it's Netflix or this new Time Warner Discovery mashup. You know, they're they're going to be spending somewhere between fifteen to twenty billion dollars each in terms of content creation. Well, in one fell swoop, nine billion gets a a lot of movies. Um, and as you said, the, the you know the TV studio, the the ability to create more stuff. So. Um, I, I think I think that's part of it. Yeah, there are increasingly fewer studios available, so that could be part of the reasoning. Probably is. I guess the last thing that that I'll say about Amazon, they have this sort of ingrained view of the world that derives from all the investment they've been doing in logistics over the years. I mean, since day one, really, they always see or what that return on investment is going to be, regardless if it's you know, building a, a warehouse or a logistics center, or buying out a Whole Foods, or maybe looking at a, a movie and TV studio deal, they always look for the place where they can invest their own money, um, streamline some processes, and eventually get a much greater return on investment. So we shouldn't leave that out of the equation as well. Amazon probably sees something here <laughs> that you and I don't see, Chris. So um, this one will also be a fun one to revisit. Maybe not next year uh, at Amazon's cadence, maybe in a few years. Take a look at what they did with this piece. Maybe they'll surprise us. But uh, let's see. The next step is to see if this deal actually goes through. I'm guessing we're at 90, 95%, Chris. Asa Sharma, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.